Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hello and welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is a podcast with the opinion that progressive politics can change the world. I'm your host, Hannah Shah, back from sunny Portugal. And today... Obrigado. Hello. <laughs> I am here joined by Alison McGovern MP, Stephanie Lloyd and Pearl Sanger to discuss the news of the week. So, first things first, Ali, while I've been out of the loop, what's been happening? Well, um, we're still not sure if we're going to Brexit or not. Boris Johnson is still nearly the Prime Minister and other than that, the country's mainly been engaging in a massive distraction exercise. Now, I don't understand the sport of cricket very well, but I know enough to know that apparently we ran the New Zealand lot very, very close. And this was very exciting. And everybody mm. seems to be in one of those moments where they're like, let's all look at this, this yeah, amazing sporting endeavour over here and not think about how the rest of the country is going it's to the It's basically like winning the World Cup on penalties. Right. Is what happened. Is that but what in happened? like the rarest of rarest no, forms. No, it was so even agree. more than that. Was it? So oh, there we go. So Hannah actually knows about cricket. So I actually know about cricket. Oh. I sort of stayed true School to my me. roots. School and me. Uh, as a British Pakistani, sort of is mandated I that we know about cricket. Right. It's Should the rules. stick to my roots in this as an Indian person, but... <laughs> it's it's no quite idea. a long and boring sport. Like if you're going to watch a 50 over game, it's an entire day and that requires... I heard that you can go and like drink wine the whole time. Yeah, that's basically oh, it's very boozy. Yeah. yeah, it's a very yeah. It's very yeah, British. Yeah. Uh, but not if you're at Pakistan v Bangladesh, where it's yeah, frowned upon a little bit more but so essentially but, i mean I saw, I saw the um the india pakistan game being uh, reported when it was in manchester and they were having a very nice time <laughs> very nice time i went to well i was in lisbon and i was there sort of following it all live and of course um i have a pact with one of my friends who's an india supporter and we sort of put this aside for the, for the England v New Zealand game because we both decided that England weren't allowed to win. <laughs> we didn't want England to win. England won everything. Um, Are you genuinely supporting New Zealand? Yes, I was genuinely supporting New Zealand. She has a policy that she would support any team against England, even Pakistan. I mean, oh, which as an Indian nah, is not um, incredible for her thing. to do. That's, That's quite, quite unacceptable. Yeah. Um, and we were... Following it along, and it looked like New Zealand were doing fairly well, but then England were catching up, and they went to 
what they call a super over, which is essentially champagne super over. Yeah, that was that, that was that was <laughs> the puns exactly of, the, of, the, was of the front pages. See, I really don't watch it. And, <laughs> and each side has to score as many runs as they can in that one over, which is six balls to decide the World Cup, which is ridiculous. Wow. Oh. And then they tied. So it's like penalty so it's like overtime. Yeah. Okay. And they of. tied on the super over. <gasps> so then it went down to who scored the most boundaries in that particular match. Because obviously, so if it goes across <laughs> yeah, well, I was the field, what is a boundary? So if it goes across so like the field the and it door. hits the, the floor, the well, the sort of barrier on the side of the pitch, oh, right. then then you get four. Uh, and and if you hit it over the thing, D- so through does the not air, touch like a home run. Um, it's yeah. exactly mm. then it's a six. So it was essentially oh, decided damn. on the number of sixes and fours that were scored. And England scored like three more fours and two more sixes in the match, so we won. <gasps> Great. But we what? actually won so the Super they, like, Over. So they go back and they count well, the I think aggregate it was, score. No, we well, won I think the Super it, Over. I think we did. did we, we did. Not? I watched it. We literally won it. We won it. That's well. No, I think, I think it was we a got one run. run. We got them out. And anyway, clearly, <laughs> cricket, a complicated game. Clearly, day. no one understands cricket other than yeah. Hannah, and I'm not sure she watched it. No, I didn't watch it. So you may be right. I was looking on Twitter, which is not a very reliable source. We, anyway, we shall, we shall correct world. this at some point in the future. So, but basically, everybody's been really distracted by the sport because and politics Wimbledon. and Wimbledon, and Wimbledon, yeah. which is a thing. Yeah, yeah. We should we should not have a long discussion about Wimbledon because no, I think shouldn't. that could equally take up the entire podcast debating about you know how even though she didn't win, be... Serena Williams is an absolute queen. She yeah. really is. I think but, we can all agree with that. But twelve percent of men think that they can score points. Oh, that was so good. Her. That is my favorite. That is the best YouGov poll that has ever been released Absolutely. ever. I mean, we one in eight men. All of those men, and I bet they're all the same men that are talking about <laughs> Megan. You know, get them in, Ali. So yeah, like, yeah, you could definitely return a serve. Like, how do you think you could return a serve against these people? Like, I would be hiding. miles an hour. This, this I would hide. I'm like, maybe if it just hit me. your face and went across. <laughs> so I feel it might be like Tim Henman just taking the survey twenty thousand times. <laughs> yeah. oh, he has more chance. To be fair to him, yeah, literally. So, um, yeah, everybody's been distracting themselves with sports and not focusing on politics, really, because it is very depressing. Because we basically, the best thing that can happen at the moment is that when Boris Johnson becomes prime minister, the Tory members of parliament that he sacks from the government decide to stand up to him over no deal Brexit. So we are in the business of fighting off terrible events. And we feel very, it feels very far away at the moment having a progressive government that could make real change. Well, that's sufficiently depressing. But you have been going around the country, haven't you, Ali? Trying to reduce the depressingness I have, uh, as part because, of your campaign. Because we do need to be ready for a progressive government. And I suppose one of the things that has really got me down over the past couple of years has been the number of social action projects that have needed to make themselves a part, essentially, of the welfare state. So, you know, in, in the Victorian times, like we had local welfare assistance schemes that meant that, you know, there was people that you could go and beg poverty to in your local area if you fell on hard times. And the Beveridge Report and, you know, the the work of many progressives from both Labour, the Liberals, trade unions and others that culminated in the Beveridge Report of 1942 fundamentally changed that and said that the state should play a role in smoothing people's incomes so that they could take out when they needed to, when they were having a period in their life where it was difficult to work and they would pay back into the system when they were in a position where they could work. And that system was supposed to mean that people never needed to beg. They never needed to suffer the indignity of, you know, essentially relying on charitable handouts. 
And unfortunately, it feels more of me like we're getting back to pre-beverage times. Um, and universal credit is to blame for a lot of that, that the, the sanctions regime and the punitive measures in universal credit have actually brought a lot of that about, but also policies like the benefit freeze, the two child limit and other things um, have made this situation a lot worse. So I've been uh, running a project called Making Ends Meet, which is going around the country, talking to experts in the field and people who understand this subject to try and work out what would a progressive Labour government coming into office, what would the things that we be that we need to do immediately that need to change overnight? What would be the things that we would do, you know, alterations to the way that the labour market works that we would need to set in train? And what would be the big structural changes that we we would want to see over a generation? You know, for me, there's something about um about caring, caring responsibilities and properly pricing in um caring responsibilities, be that child childcare or the care of older relatives, so that women face a much more equal labour market. Because we know at the moment that the poorest paid people in the UK are majority women, and they're also still struggling to, you know, make ends meet because they've got childcare to do or they're taking care of an older relative. So there's things immediately like increasing the value of, of specific benefits, but also there's big long-term strategic questions. And I'll stop rambling on in a second, but basically the whole Making Ends Meet project is going to report in September at Labour Party conference um, at a big event with all the members of parliament who've been involved, including John McDonnell, the shadow chancellor. And we're going to you know, put forward this report of things that we think need to happen so that people can make ends meet. Amazing. So I think you've been on two roundtables over the past week, one in Liverpool, one in Birmingham. Is that right? Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. And, and Manchester and Glasgow. And Manchester and Glasgow, you've been busy. So, so we started the project in Westminster, um, Gordon Brown, a uh, friend of this parish, and <laughs> um, John McDonnell, uh, along with myself and Kate Green, Member mm-hmm. of Parliament for Stratford and Elmston, launched the project in Westminster. And we heard from real experts in the field, so Child Poverty Action Group, Trussell Trust, um, a range of trade unions, along with the TUC, spoke to us about the things that they would like to see change. And one thing that came out of that that was really shocking to me, I thought I kind of knew about this subject, but Unison um, brought along experts from their benevolent fund. So this is the trade union fund that's there for members in their time of need and mm-hmm. emergencies. And um, they were saying that they they gave out grants in the old days, mainly to retired members who were kind of struggling for one reason or another, or people who'd had an unexpected event. And they said that more and more they were giving out grants because people just couldn't get by, that they they couldn't make their their pay run till the end of the month, and that more and more it was their younger members that mm. they were giving out grants to. And it and it's absolutely shocking. Like it's it's a really good reason to be in a trade union because they have these sorts of um expertise and and often there's there's those sorts of benefits. But I find it an absolute disgrace that we have once again got to the situation where it's left to charitable endeavor to help people get from you know one end of the month to the to the end with their with their paycheck it's it's not okay so we need to change the way that our welfare state works so that it actually properly supports people we need to change our labor market and we need to change really the structure of our economy and um you said that you've been to liverpool birmingham uh, manchester and glasgow correct um 
I remember things. Um, <laughs> and I think it's interesting to ask you, obviously, you speak a lot about regional inequality and the regional economy. Was your sense of what the organisations and people um, who you spoke to around parts of the country outside the uh, tiny Westminster home in which we live uh, worse or was it different in nature in any way? So in Glasgow, it was really, really interesting because obviously with devolution, the Scottish government has been able to experiment with different things and they are currently working up plans for a limited extra child support payment. So we'll see how that goes. But Glasgow City Council had done a lot of experimenting in automating the payment of benefits so that people weren't having to constantly apply and reapply. Universal credit is quite a punishing system. So they've been trying to reverse engineer it in Glasgow so that they can automate um, grants that they have, for example, school uniform grant and whatever. And, and that was really interesting in how they use their data. Um, Liverpool is pretty much the home of social enterprise. Mm. Um, there's a lot of growing projects that are recognizing that even if, you know, we have to have food banks in limited ways or a way that we can change food banks so that they are more about um, allowing people to buy food in a lower cost way, mm. perhaps as a cooperative. So that's a really interesting side of it. In Birmingham, I mean, I was absolutely knocked out by the homelessness and rough sleeping problem that they're facing. Liam Byrne, um, who who is absolutely brilliant had a huge amount of research into exactly why um, Birmingham has suffered in this way. And, you know, a lot of it is to do with the safety net that was there, particularly in terms of housing and people getting in a mess when they're unable to pay their rent because the local housing allowance isn't high enough anymore, that there's no safety net anymore. So people are just more quickly ending up either in a homeless situation or both homeless and on the street. And so that was, I mean, it was really distressing, actually. Birmingham is a lovely place, but it's really, really struggling with that. Okay. Um, is everybody depressed now? Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. Thoroughly. I was, actually, that last bit was really making me think a lot about San Francisco and some of the similar issues that are happening um, in terms of sort of a safety net that that was there that has now sort of disappeared in the homelessness problem that's happening sort of up and down the West Coast. So much of that is similar to what's happening here because a lot of those areas are progressive areas where they have had policies to support people mm. in times of need, but for one reason or another are disappearing. Yeah. Mainly due to to, you know, uh overspend and, you know, where they're deciding to cut costs. But there are eleven big mayors up and down the West Coast from uh Washington down to all the way down to San Diego that are dealing with a similar problem. And there's no easy solution. No, I mean, it's partly, to, it, is, it, is a, it is a thing about developed economies, actually, yeah. at the moment, that, that because growth has been relatively sluggish and people haven't really looked at the way that the labour market has changed um, and understood why, you know, I think we once thought that the, that the sort of beverage ideas of like from cradle to the grave and, and that, that contributory principle of you take out when you need and you pay in when you can. I think people thought that was quite old fashioned, mm. but I think it's absolutely a screaming need now. I mean, how much do you think, you, you spoke about kind of Glasgow and, and how obviously with the devolved nature of government there, it allowed them to be able to, to do things slightly differently. How much do you think that is going to have, how much do you think devolution should come into that policy making and it not just be something that just comes from a kind of central government? How much of that do you think needs to go on a local level with the different issues that you'll be seeing in different places? So 
not to preempt your report. No, no, no. <laughs> so this is a really big challenge because the fact is that no city in Britain can deal with these problems on their own because they don't have the financial heft of mm. the UK Treasury. Mm. And, you know, I would make, I know that there's lots of people in the Scottish National Party or who are nationalists um, in Scotland, Wales, or elsewhere who would think that, um, who, who are progressives who want to deal with this problem too. And I have no doubt about it. But across the United Kingdom, we have traditionally pooled and shared our resources to, to allow local areas to have the big heft, the big force of the treasury behind a redistributive system. That's mm. really the question, right? Mm. It's like, is there a risk with devolution that you undermine the redistributive mm. efforts in the UK economy? And, and I think that is a risk. But what I would say is as somebody who really believes in like local government and devolved government, and I, and I see the power of that, is that it works best where it's a partnership. Because say, take South Wales, for example, mm. right? For historic reasons, South Wales has a particular um, disability, uh, like burden, burden feels like the wrong yeah. word, but, but where you used to have heavy industry, you have yeah. a lot of industrial in injury. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so, you know, you couldn't, you can't help all those people without the United Kingdom, right? Mm. But then you look at London London's got a big, big problem with child poverty. Mm. And London needs the two-child limit to end. Mm. Mm. You know, families in London are disproportionately affected by that. And it's got to end. So when everybody sees that actually the United Kingdom should be a big partnership and we help each other solve our problems, then I think the welfare state can work really well. Mm. And then you layer over that devolved action. So I was saying about in Liverpool, we're, we're really working on our economy to try and include a lot of cooperatives and a lot of um, social enterprises to experiment, to see what works. We've historically got this big, big need for regeneration, basically because mm. we were bombed like really badly in the Second World War and have never really had their growing economy to deal with that. So we really want to regenerate in a different way. And so, you know, we're doing things in a different way, but crucially, it should be in partnership with a national government mm. that is able to fully uh, accept its responsibility to redistribute wealth from, you know, more wealthy people to those who, who need a hand. Great. Thank you. We're going to take a short break now. Uh, and when we come back, we'll be talking about Donald Trump and Brexit. What a surprise. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, if Get excited. If you have a friend, I hope you do, who enjoys... Uh, questionable cricket chat as much as we do then please send this their way and subscribe rate hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news all right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Okay, so we had a great first half chatting about your campaigning alley and making ends meet. But as you mentioned at the top of the podcast, it seems sort of not much has changed. So while I was away, we had everyone's favorite What's It. I know people call him a Cheeto, but I think What's It is the sort of ang, the, it's like ang, the British version. anglicized version of yeah. it. So we're going to go with that. I think what's It's good because they're big and round. <laughs> <laughs> they're a bit, yeah, fatter. Trump was attacking four US congresswomen of color, including breakthrough New York congresswoman, AOC, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, he said, amongst many other things, why don't they go back and help fix the totally broken and crime-infested places from which they came, then come back and show us how it's done? The irony being um, three out of the four women who he insulted were born in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the fourth is Ilan Omar, who a came to the U.S. as a refugee from yeah. Somalia when she was 12. So I don't think there's much of going back where you came from but we've got pearl here who's our uh yank in residence um, <laughs> what do you think that. about we say that? that with a lot of love pearl. um yeah so my understanding is this happened during uh they were they were challenging um the intern internment camps basically along the border i think so i saw this briefly um and then read about it a bit so they were challenging that for, for those of you who are not following currently, there are thousands of people in internment camps along the border of the U S and Mexico, basically cages, um, family separation. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Separating families. They are actually in cages that are overcrowded. And I think that, um, one of the things that AOC had mentioned was that a woman was told to drink water out of a toilet. Mm. A couple of hours after this debacle happened, by the way, uh, Vice President Pence went to visit with, um, you know, a resounding thank you to all of the staff down there <laughs> saying that con conditions look great. And unlike the Holocaust, where people were being killed, oh that God. these people were actually being taken care of and that our officers were saving lives every day. That's paraphrasing but essentially what he said Christ. yeah I mean you just can't no make this I mean I've seen I've moment. seen quite a few commentators kind of talk about various different conservative politicians because obviously there's been a big cry on the fact that neither Boris Johnson nor Jeremy Hunt have particularly come out and said anything about this yeah. And if you'd like to go and Theresa the, May did though. Well, Theresa May went shots fired. She's she was just, all guns blazing. She yeah. said what he said was absolutely disgraceful. Um but the problem is with this is there's lots of people now that are kind of going, oh, well, this is a domestic problem. We shouldn't be getting involved. 
Like we should, we wouldn't want to invite other people to get involved in our domestic issues. Literally straight from the mouths of a I mean, cabinet that, minister. And that's not true, by the way. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when uh, good folks in America stood up for human rights, given what the British government was doing in Northern Ireland. Mm. And yeah. I can tell you their intervention was most welcome. Well, indeed. So, and the thing is, there's no two ways. There's no, there's no two ways about this, right? This is just. This isn't even like mildly dog whistle. This is just racism through Absolutely. and through. Yeah. And what it is. you know, I think one of the things that scares me the most about this currently is that, and we've spoken about this before on the podcast, is that sheer level of normalisation that's happening with the total extremity that's now coming into politics in terms of hate speech and how this idea that you know you can just say whatever you want and just go well, that's my opinion. and Or, oh, well, it's Donald Trump. He just says these things. And that's seen in any way acceptable. And the idea that, you know, people in the British government who are conservatives would not unequivocally call this out as for what it is. Absolutely. I find it deeply concerning about the fact that, and it is one of these things, yes, they are an ally. That doesn't mean that we can't say when they are doing something like when the when the president says something that is utterly horrific, we shouldn't say that is the case because again, the more the more you move the line on this, the more it becomes more normal, and that's and that's when you get you know people literally living in cages. Yeah, it's absolutely shameful. You know, while I was reading about this yesterday, I also saw another article connected to it, which was that the Smithsonian is now collecting drawings from children. Mm. Uh, depicting like what they're seeing and you you literally see like the stick figure drawings that like your average five or six year old would draw with a cage yeah. over it yeah. I mean it's just absolutely mind-blowing but I think you're absolutely right we need to we need to um have way more of, of a stance on this and colleagues across the house really need to be denouncing this at it's yeah it's unbelievable you're you're if you don't mind me saying pearl you seem like i mean absolutely shocked you're um you're you have heritage and family like across both sides of the atlantic yeah. so yeah. see this very as you know i've heard you speak about this sort of thing before and you see it from both sides right but in neither the british nor the american debate is is what's going on at the moment okay right no neither and i'm i think especially after this last week, I've found, I've been very angry this weekend, I have to say. I, I like, you think that, okay, you can turn to Britain and like maybe things are a bit better, but the absolute state of what's mm. going on within our own party at the moment is just so depressing mm. and so mm. upsetting. And, you know, um, I, my friends and family are frustrated everywhere there isn't <laughs> one place where it's like oh it's you know it's gone a bit better up there so there's no. nowhere i can move to there's nowhere that any times. of us can move to yeah we're all stuck, <laughs> we're stuck with it there, there is no plan b but yeah the big question i think politically in terms of the uk is boris johnson and if he becomes prime minister which it looks almost like, certain yeah. barring yeah. a massive turn up for the books that he will how do we as progressives hold him to account because he Trump is somebody who, you know, they've claimed a kind of special relationship. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, Boris Johnson is somebody who has has never really uh, stood up to Trump and that administration. You know, he was one of the people who was a, something of a cheerleader, I suppose. But equally, Boris Johnson claims to be to have been the progressive mayor of London. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that we need to find some way to, you know, really 
make clear that actually whatever whatever he might have done to be elected mayor of London, actually we've known for a long time what Boris Johnson's true views are about this situation and we should hold to him account. Well, it's the many, many faces of Boris Johnson, isn't it? And it's that part of none of it's none of it's real. None of which which side of it is true. And I think the scary thing is, is none of it is real. It is just whoever he stood in front of at the time and whatever's going to be the most politically expedient for him, which, you know, in an age of kind of rising populism and the level of instability that we're seeing across large parts of the kind of, you know, political world, it is it is a real worry of, of where that's going to go. And in a way that's could be quite dangerous. And obviously we've got the presidential election that start, you know, it's really kind of kicking up a gear now. And I believe there's going to be an exciting new podcast oh, with both it. Henna and and our resident Anglo-American expert, mm-hmm. Pearl. Um, That's a much more polite way of saying it. Sorry, Pearl. <laughs> <laughs> I won't call you a Yang again. <laughs> Sorry, um, I'll forgive you. So, yeah, but I think, you know, it will be very interesting to see how this kind of plays out amongst that. Um, amongst Mm. the kind of backdrop of this and it is that part where you know as you see with elections people get more and more they they pander to an audience right when it's an election Mm. they'll you know the reason why Boris Johnson I think you know largely why Boris Johnson and Jeremy Hunt are playing you know and saying lots of the things that they are is because they're pandering to a very 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 specific selectorate who are Tory party members who are a very niche group of people within the country so you know, it will be interesting to see the kind of dynamics and how that works out. Mm. I don't know if you've seen any of Trump's speeches lately. I try not to. Not the, <laughs> the campaign trail, but he's literally just repeating what he did in 2016. Mm. Even he's even still talking about crooked Hillary. It's like amazing. It's unbelievable. I mean, word for word, some of it. So, so we stopped copying Elwood's commencement speech. <laughs> <laughs> so, if anyone who doesn't know, there's a wonderful. If you ever just, you know, just need a laugh at how ludicrous politics has become, it's a wonderful film called Legally Blonde of Reese Witherspoon's early days. It's a great Where she gives her commencement speech at the end of her time at Harvard. And then there was a there was a period of time where Donald Trump went and gave a commencement speech at a college. I can't remember which one it was. Oh, yeah. And he literally gave almost word for word the exact speech that was in Legally Blonde. But obviously yeah. speech in Legally Blonde's far better because it's Reese Witherspoon wearing pink having taken down the patriarchal establishment in the Absolutely. Of, Har- of Harvard, yeah. which, so, you know, sadly was not true. It's far better. And um, the last thing I wanted to talk about in relation to the US and sort of jumping off this Boris Johnson and uh, Trump election stuff is talk a little bit about vaguely, I mean, I was on a sun lounger when this happened, uh, but we sort of embarrassed our ambassador into resigning. Oh, God. Um, oh and what this I found really interesting was that Liam Fox, who, surprise, surprise, has come and said, oh, actually, guys, it might take us a bit longer to sort out a trade deal with the US than we originally thought. Lol. Um, surprising to Shocker. no one. Uh, managed to say or make reference to the fact he doesn't necessarily think that Sir Kim's successor uh, has to be a career diplomat and maybe it should be a politician running our mission in Washington. What do we think about that? I mean, this is... Who should we send? This is, yeah, exactly. <laughs> send to, Boris Johnson. To, to, to coin the phrase, <laughs> this is not Floyd cricket, Fambus, right? Yeah. This is not how we do things. Um, so what I really worry about in many ways with British politics at the moment is... Populism is representing itself in a desire to rip up the rules. And, you know, as a progressive and somebody who like, you know, I'm not a fan of rules, right? But 
Rules but, are guidance. Kel's <laughs> <laughs> a big fan of rules. <laughs> I quite like them. The rule, I normally like them so I can secrets. just figure out how to bend them. Ever so you're the nice. you're the moniker from Friends of the uh, mm. of the Progressive Britain podcast. But rules make fun. <laughs> but, but the point the point about rules and the point about um, convention and how we do things is that it's it it's stabilizing in politics and it's mm. designed to to allow people to understand what we will do and to have kind of rational expectations about how countries will respond to certain circumstances. And in diplomacy, that's really, really important, right? Because like diplomacy is about how we handle conflict Mm -hmm. in the world, how we, um, you know, how we make sure that that like trade can function in a way that's effective and that people people can expect by and large that things will go a certain way it's it, yeah. it's it's what it what is what makes life function in a way that is understandable and in a way that people can expect to know what's going to yeah. happen so like like the reason why diplomacy is full of like convention and rules is for a really really good reason yeah and um it's one of the oldest forms of relationship building mm, right think about it right exactly and and that relationship building uh and and the, all of the way that we do diplomacy in britain is is really really good for our country it keeps us in a really stable place and position and the problem with the brexit populism of which boris johnson seems to be the kind of you know leader-in-chief is that when they rip up the rules, like whether or not our, you know, um, whether or not whether or not our ambassador to the, to the US should be a so-called career diplomat, mm. they create an instability and an unpredictability about our behaviour yeah. that could be really damaging mm. to just just the you know people's lives and people's ability to like get on and do what they need to do. You know, if you're if you're working in an organisation that needs to travel in and out of the US, or you know you're relying on the British Foreign Office to do its job well. And so for me, I think the British Civil Service get a lot of grief. They're not perfect. But I think, you know, they they keep going despite all the political nonsense yeah, um, at absolutely. the moment. And I really respect from them for that. And I really wish that politicians in the House of Commons would stop playing fast and loose with their ability to do their jobs. Totally. Rant over. I mean, that was a perfect civil service rant I quite enjoy that I feel full of sort of national pride now the civil service now my um, housemate's a civil servant so he'll be very happy you should we should be um, proud of the British civil service I normally laugh at him for being a paper pusher but not today <laughs> it's also his birthday happy birthday Alex happy birthday yeah, Alex. here's a birthday present for you um on that note I think we'll stop there but shall we have a look ahead to next week does anyone have anything interesting coming up was anything our listeners should be watching out for um, everybody should be wait, watching and waiting for the end of the Tory leadership contest and how the Conservative Party is going to deal with Boris Johnson. Anyone else got anything exciting? Uh, there's, going, exciting. There's, some in, there's some interesting shenanigans that are currently going on in the Lords. So the amazing Ooh. Stella Creasy and Conor McGinn's work to get equal marriage and Ooh. abortion through the Houses of Commons, uh, they're now trying to stall it as much as they can in the Lords to stop I that mean, from being a possibility. What? Because this what is what happens. Happens. These people. Because this is what happens can't every time you do one good one things. Win? No, just one. No. No. <laughs> no, no, no. no. They're not going like to give it to you. It is not the same if you've not sweated blood and stone for it. So <laughs> yeah, but also um, like these people should just learn. Do not get in Stella Creasy's way. Now. <laughs> no. Well, I think I, they are going to learn that this week. So watch out for another <laughs> Stella. Stella wants the Lords to take that. Take eight. 
thousand. But yeah. uh, but no, it will be a really important week in terms of making sure that goes through and people don't try and kind of pull a fast and loose one with that, and that we ensure you know all of the people that need us to, in Northern Ireland to make sure that happens uh, that we do. So watch out for that and uh, keep an eye on Stella's Stella's Twitter account and she'll uh, give us all I mean, the calls we've to all action. All got we need. Her notifications, totally. obviously. And not to bring it down another notch, but I just have to say massive solidarity to all of my friends and former colleagues in the Labour Party. Yeah. I'm yeah. just, I love them all so yeah, much. Me and Katie did and somewhat of an emotional podcast on uh, yeah. on the Panorama programme of anti-Semitism last week. And obviously we've had more allegations come out over the weekend. So, yeah. so been, if um, any of you listeners see a Labour Party staff member, give them a big hug <laughs> and tell yeah. them thank you for all of the hard work that they do because yeah. it's a thankless job at the best of times. And they are right like, now. I mean, they are like our civil servants. They mm-hmm. are. They really are. They don't, they don't take views and, on the politics. They no. do a bloody good job. No matter what, no matter who's in charge. Yeah. And we should respect them for that. Absolutely. Thank so. you to Labour Party staff. Thanks for all you do. Thank you all. And I think we'll see you on Friday. It's bye from us. You've been listening to the Progressive Britain podcast. The music was One in the West by Blue Dot Sessions licensed under Creative Commons, and many thanks for our fantastic and long-suffering producer, Caroline Crampton. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.